Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of State of the Art. And today we are continuing the conversation of AI art, this time with multimedia artist Camila McGrain. Uh, Camila's work bridges technology and art to secure interactivity as a central component in her work. Her pieces have a raw aesthetic characterized by a stark black and white palette, and her portfolio includes photography, motion-activated installations, and an AI plant bot. Uh, her photogram series, which uses augmented reality to bring images to life, um, is another uh, another one of her many, many artistic endeavors. So without further ado, please help me welcome Camilla McGrain. Thank you so much for having me to your studio today. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And thank you for uh, bearing with me as I read that off a screen, <laughs> as our listeners will be able to tell. Uh, but that's all good. Um, so... Uh, I wanted to, I guess, first jump in um, with, I'm curious what your background is. You know, anybody who gets into AI art, technical art, like there's a huge technical component to your work that you have to, you know, ha- be smart enough to to, to handle. Um, but obviously a huge creative component that most, you know, technical people can't also really get their heads around. So what was your background that has led you to kind of bring those two things together? Yeah. Um, so... I actually started my first official kind of academic training started um, in film school. So that's kind of where I started um, gaining kind of a a learning about visual storytelling and started kind of like growing creatively. Um, And then um, I was in after film school, I was in college for a really long time. I was like, it was about eight years almost. And the reason is because I changed major so many times <laughs> and I couldn't really decide on one thing. Um, but it was also great because I studied so many different things and it was like a, a crazy palette of different um, majors. I mean, I went from like creative writing to theater to photography, photojournalism. I mean, like constantly changing every couple of semesters. Um, and the big reason for this was that, like I said, I, well, my my personality, I tend to get really excited over things that like when I first discover something new, I'm like, get really into it. And then like, you know, like, and especially when I was younger, I was really influenced very easily um, and inspired super. I'm a little bit more jaded now, so it doesn't happen <laughs> as easily. But definitely I would like, you know, read a novel that was like really inspiring. Be like, OK, now I want to be an author and like change, you know, or like yeah. so. I went through all of these transitions, but one thing that I noticed during this whole period is that I was really into interactive um, or more more so like non-linear, non-traditional forms of storytelling. And that's a theme that was persistent through all of the things that I was exploring. And I found that through done really well through video games. Um, and I played a lot of games growing up. Um, I, you know, grew up with two, uh, my brother and two uh, next door neighbors, all three guys. So I was kind of a tomboy. I spent mm. a lot of time playing video games and then um, took a break um, during my early adult life and then rediscovered games later on while I was exploring video um, films. Um, and I kind of realized that during the time that I was away, how much they had advanced in the storytelling methods and how incredible how how there was so many interesting ways that games were exploring narratives and um 
and completely breaking conventional ways of telling stories. So I changed my major again to <laughs> um, computer science with a concentration in game development, mainly with the intention because I was like, okay, I want to make video games. So, you know, after and kind of just interactive art in general and kind of use this this the storytelling methods that they were using in video games through, um, you know, and using interactivity as a, as a form of communication. So, um, I Googled, you know, how do, how do you make a video game? And you're like, the first thing you kind of see is like, you have to know how to program, right? <laughs> so right. game maker pro. Yeah. I was yeah. like, Oh shit. You know, like I barely passed my algebra class in, in, in high school and middle school. So it was like really terrifying, but at the same time, um, you know, I kind of had been through so many transitions um, in my education that it was just kind of another thing that I was like, okay, well, I just, you know, it's programming ultimately is just like learning anything else. If you if you work at it hard, long enough, you get better at it, right? right. And it's um, so I ended up did I did graduate um, with a computer science degree. Um, with just the intention, like I said, to use programming as a tool yeah. in my art. And um, and then I went on to working in the game industry for a couple of years as a cinematic artist. And then... Um, what, what is that? What does that mean, like, relative to games? So this, it's the job that... So I was working at, at a company that specify, that they're specialized in, like, narrative, interactive narrative games. So, like, choose your own adventure kind of like you right. you choose the path of where the story goes um and um and basically cinema so they're cinematic games so you so what a cinematic artist is they're kind of like a little a director of the scenes that are happening in the game so they control um the cameras uh, like the cut scenes they do all that we do all yeah. the cameras the editing the acting of the characters so it's basically like you are a director of um you know of, of the choose scenes your of, own adventure yeah scene. exactly okay. yeah of a scene so like we were given a scene and, and we'd have to put and we would give it be an given an environment with some characters and we would place the characters in the scene put cam do all the cameras do all of the editing do all of the um acting of all of the of the characters and um yeah it was a great job um yeah yeah. What is, what have you felt? Cause I've definitely, I've, I know a lot of people who have been in and out and in and out of the games industry and there's always sort of mixed feelings about the industry, but what has uh, your experience been like? The struggle is real. What they say, <laughs> it's all true. Everything you hear about the overtime and the crunching and like, yeah, yeah. I guess it's a kind of a big reason why I decided it's not for me, I guess. I mean, um, I think it was great for me right out of college. Like I loved the experience and and um, working. I worked with such incredible creative people and the, I loved all the games that we made. And um, it was a great experience. But like definitely, um, definitely I was I was burnt out. Like yeah. I put in a good amount of time and um, yeah. that's yeah. So, um, yeah, actually, the company I went under shortly after i left so and that's total big common thing yeah, in just the happens. game industry it just happens yeah, like everyone yeah. just like so boom and bust yeah yeah but um i've heard the gaming industry described as like the nerdy version of wall street where like 
for the first 10 years of your career, like you're just going to burn out. It's just, you just have to go and go and go. Yeah. And like, once you put in that time, maybe you'll be able to like move on to something more interesting and more lucrative and stuff. But like, yeah, I don't even think that's true. (laughs) I think you just keep getting burned. I mean, I knew people who were there like for a long time. I mean, I guess you get better at managing your time. Right. Right. right, right. Like you learn how to like manage your time better and you learn like, but the thing is so much, this is what I've realized. It's like in the game industry and the people who are working there, you're working there because you really want to, it's a creative, you know, field and you want to be there and you want to like, it's kind of a dream job in many ways. I mean, like who doesn't, if you want to make video games and you're working at a video game company, that's like, it's awesome. Like you're making video games. It's like the coolest thing ever, right? It's like (laughs) every, every kid's dream. dream. So, I mean, like for me, it's like, I would put in some, I would stay really late and, and like, you know, put in the extra hours and like, I mean, sometimes they would ask us that we would have to do that. But for the most part, it was like, it's because I wanted to be there and I wanted to make, the yeah. best product that I could make, right? And I want it. So, you know, it wasn't, it was also, you know, on the people who are there that, at least in my opinion, it was like, I wanted, I wanted yeah. to make the best that I could make, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. So you spent time in the gaming world. So, yeah, after the gaming world, um, I left, um, I, I put, I, I was, Working there for about two, two and a half years about. And then I went independent. Um, during the time, t- about this last six months of while I was working, I started doing a lot more focusing on my own personal work, which is uh, mainly like photor- my photo work, uh, photo collage work, and kind of interactive new media digital work. Um, and I started kind of exhibiting on the side hmm. um, while I was working. And it started really picking up towards like the last six months. I got a lot more offers to exhibit around the city and the Bay Area and just kind of more interest in my work in general. And um, and it became like really difficult to start juggling my full-time job and kind of like my art job. Um, so I kind of, towards the very end, I kind of decided just to make the leap and go full-time um, and pursue my art full-time. So... Um, and I've been doing that for about um, a little over a year now and um, don't regret any of it. It's been amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's huge. That's you're going from like one dream job to another. To another yeah, I mean, that's like no. two very difficult jobs to get and maintain. But good for you. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So um, so I guess kind of like shifting into this topic of AI art. I mean, I know you've you've done a lot of different um, a lot of different creative stuff, but AI art is one of those things. Um, so I'm uh, curious before we even talk about your work. You know, one of the things that people are terrified about. I mean, people are terrified about AI. Period. Right? There's this impending doom and gloom that like the robots are coming and they're taking our jobs and. Uh, you know, how do how do we coexist with these? What happens if they become like super intelligent and we become like a lesser life form? You know, there's like all these um, crazy scenarios. But what's interesting about the art world is that specifically people feel really defensive about art that like creative creativity should be the one thing that machines can't do or, um, you know, that like that should be the last bastion of humanity is our ability to create interesting creative things. Um, and I'm curious, kind of, you know, where do you kind of start this conversation when you think about how AI and art are coexisting? Does it worry you at all? Is this like just another tool in the tool chest? How do you kind of look at this from a big level? Um, well, I think no matter what, like 
whether the machine or the AI is creating art, it's still there's still a humanistic element that need it needs to be involved in order for that machine to actually create the art, right? I mean, like there's still with so much of AR, there's like the artist is still a curator, right? You curate the entire content that you're feeding the AI for the most part, at least with visual based kind of AI um, work. So there's still creative decisions being made. Um, also, you know, there's still, and, and whatever the machine ends up outputting, there's still creative input as whether the artist is still has input on what they're going to exhibit based off of what the machine creates. Right. So there's still, I think, uh, creative decisions that are being made and it, and it becomes almost more of like a collaboration, I think, between the artist and machine. Um, and I think it's like so much of this conversation has to do with um, kind of finding a happy balance between the human and the machine and a relationship. Um, at least that's kind of like where my work is heading is about um, kind of a relationship between um, what it, you know, humans and machines and, and create kind of a conversation around what the future holds between like creating re relationships and potentially friendships or just like the, that concept in general is really interesting to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess like that's, that's the question there, right? Is like, what is the nature of these relationships? Like, is it, yeah, absolutely. Uh, are you looking at it in an egalitarian sort of way? Is there like a sort of master slave dynamic to this in one direction or another? Like what's, I guess in your own work, how are you exploring that, the nature of that relationship? Um, I think, so the current project, um, I guess it would make a little more sense if I kind of explain, yeah, go sure. on and yeah, explain yeah. kind of what the project is, and then that can kind of explain kind of my philosophy behind it. Um, but so basically what, um, the sculpture that I'm working on now is a, um, it's an AI bot that um, it its body consists of both digital components and organic living components. So the digital components being the computer brain and the monitor, and then the organic living components being the actual um, it, there's there's plants and a terrarium that is connected to the computer components. So. Um, and the way that the bot interacts with the um, outside world or it's kind of this, yeah, the, the, the world is that it maintains its own Instagram account. And um, the feedback that it gets from its Instagram account affects its overall mood, emotional well-being, and its life source being the plant. So every time it gets a new like, for example, um, water is released into the terrarium, or um, if it gets a new follower or comments, um, then it's the light source is also affected, so it gets more light or decreases the light based off of basically its interactions with its network. So. Um, you know, the piece is, is mostly about, um, you know, how social media is affecting us on personal levels, both, um, not only psychologically, but also physically, you know, every time we get a new text, um, there's like a rush of dopamine that we get. Um, and, um, on another level, um, 
the where the AI aspect comes into play and kind of looping back to your question. Um, so the way that that the bot um, interacts on its social media is that you know if it gets if it gets a new follower, it follows you back. If it gets um, if it's following you, it'll like all of your posts. But and and it when the terrarium starts getting dry, it will post a selfie of itself, and that's where it's using the AI algorithm. Where basically, um, what I've done is I've fed it, I've curated an, a large database of selfie images with the, from Instagram with the hashtag selfie, um, given it to the AI um, machine like a machine learning model. The AI is able to basically use that data as training data. Um, and then um, recreate its own version of a human selfie based off of the selfie images that I've given it. So it's creating um, basically human-looking images that look like selfies. They're very warped and disfigured, um, but probably will start looking more human as I give it feed it more images. Yeah. Um, so... With that, there's that kind of that concept brings up um, basically the idea of what it means to exist on the Internet and what, you know, we're living in a time now where we are able to create these identities on our own identities that are different from our physical bodies um, online. So we create these online personas and are able to decide how we want to be perceived online, right? Um, and that um, giving that possibility to the AI to do that as well is really interesting to me. So basically allowing them to also create their own online persona that's kind of different from their body persona kind of is a way to mimic what we do mm. um and our and what we're trying to do on social media and also it's about kind of this idea of what it means to have a friend an ai like create a friendship with an artificial intelligence and what our relationship to ais are going to be like in the future so cuz online technically that the you know Ozma, that's the pieces, the creature, our AI is called Ozma, so I'll refer to it as that from now on. Um, Ozma is pretty much just as valid of an online internet existence as I am, as in the sense that she interacts with her network in the exact same I way I do. So, mm. for example, maybe a friend, someone who's friends with her on Instagram receives a like from her, they might be getting the same amount of, they would get the same amount of dopamine as if I like them, right? So... Mm. There's this kind of underlying, you know, there's, we're, we're create the, the, the concept of having a friendship with an entity that isn't human, um, but gives you the same satisfaction on a very superficial level as far as how social media can, you know, on yeah. how that gets is, is really fascinating to me. And that kind of idea of, you know, what, what, are we going to get to the point where, you know, AIs are giving us the same amount of satisfaction emotionally that a friendship can, right? And yeah. there already are in some instances. I mean, there's plenty of, you know, there's bots now that people can um, purchase to, like, have just, like, a pet or just to have at home and talk to, you know, like, that's yeah. starting to be a thing, right? And um, 
So that kind of, I kind of digress there, but, um, yeah. So do you think that it's Osmo specifically, is it more about how real humans are interacting with, have you gendered Osmo? Yeah. So I have, I've, I have given her a, her gender mainly because, um, so the body, her body is, is consists consists of plants, right? Her actual physical living source body. Um, right. and that I associate more with kind of a feminine energy, kind of just like mother earth. And, um, that for simplicity's sake, I, I have given when I'm kind of talking about it, I'm like, I refer to her as her yeah. because of that. Um, but you know, online, the the images that she's putting out can be either masculine or feminine, right? Mm. So there's like a completely different persona that she has online yeah. that is a kind of manifestation of all of these uh, images, uh, selfie images. And um, but I do think it's you know just going touching on the actual body element. Um, I think what's really interesting about this project is that it is an AI with a physical body that's living, you know, it's not just computer components or, you know, it's not a computer or just something that lives in the cloud. It's actually Hmm. a a physical living and breathing body that needs water, that needs um, oxygen, that need, you know, there's all, and that I think is what kind of sets it apart from having it be just like, an AI made of yeah. just like a robot, Headless, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it actually, there's this, you know, on a, on a personal level, what the piece has really kind of been about for me, um, is about our connection to our physical bodies and, um, how our relationship to our, our online kind of existence and how that relates to our physical bodies. And, you know, I think something, there's something about, um, you know, nature and being, being around, um, nature that I think grounds us and like makes us feel a little bit more connected to the earth and the world and each other. Um, that I think we don't have that access to online and in, in, in a network. Yeah. Um, so I think bringing awareness to, um, our bodies and through, as we advance and as technology becomes such a crucial and important and dependent role uh, playing such plays such a dependent role, um, in our lives as, as you know, we progress, I think, we need to be having conversation about what role does nature play in that relationship with technology hmm. in the future. So there's a lot of layers, I guess, to it. Yeah. So, yeah. Is so I mean, I'm talking a little bit more about this body piece is um how do I want to ask this? So is is Ozma aware, like is is her physical body part of the feedback loop? that so what i understand is that um the health of her physical body is part of how she will reach out and express i guess for lack of a better term a need or a want right right? um is her awareness of her physical body part of the feedback loop to the actual content she's putting out um no but that's an interesting idea Yeah. yeah yeah um no i mean as of now, the only feedback that she has 
that she's getting is, you know, based off of the humidity that she has in her soil is when she makes the post. So if it gets dry, she'll post just generate a new selfie based off of right. the database and just create a random selfie yeah. and post that. Yeah. So it truly, so the, there truly is kind of a disconnect between the intelligence of the AI and the actual image that she's producing, yeah. which is kind of cool. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And then, so, you know, how do you as the artist sort of interpret these needs or wants that she's expressing by putting out more content, by interacting with other people? Well, so that's actually really interesting because, so with this, with this piece, I've actually created, from the artist's point of view, I've created a relationship with this piece that I've never experienced with any other art that I've worked on. Um, mainly because I feel like it's created a life of its own in the sense of it's not really, I don't have full control over what's going to happen to it um, mm. in the sense of that it's actually dependent on a whole entire network. It's a network of Instagram, you know, followers and friends is it has an influence on what's going to happen, whether the plants are going to grow or get overwatered and die, um, or, you know, whether it's going to post or not. Like I have, I basically have to disconnect myself a little bit and, um, yeah. you know, let the network control what's going to happen to, to her. So it's been kind it's, it's almost like, I mean, it almost feels like it, I mean, it is alive and that relationship that I'm creating, it's like, I feel like, I almost from from as an artist, like my I have to create this disconnect, which is really hard because I'm, you know, mostly when we're, you know, as an artist, you want it, you're so involved in your work and you kind of have this like personal connection to it. But it's not for me, it's no longer mine necessarily. It's kind of this accumulation of the network that it's creating. And and it's completely, you know, like it has to fall into its own followers and find its own way of life. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess to answer your question, um, in a roundabout way, it's like, I've really, you know, had to disconnect myself as an artist and let it kind of be its own thing and not have so much creative control over it. Yeah. Um, but that also goes back to one of the amazing and beautiful things about I think interact being in this world of interactive media and using technology is that it does give the possibility for users to become co-creators of the piece, right? It's mm. I'm no longer it's not just my art piece. It's it's the entire network's yeah. art art piece, you know, and they're becoming creators of the piece and and allowing for the piece to grow depending on everybody's kind of connectiveness, you know? So. Yeah. so, so I'm curious to look under the hood a little bit. So like, I mean, I definitely understand where like the ML stuff is coming into play with, you have a database of selfies that's curated off that hashtag. Um, is there, uh, is there actually an AI layer in the feedback loop of inputs to like, so it's it's getting likes and follows um, that's causing thing real physical things to happen in the terrarium. Um, is that like a set of sort of 
static inputs and outputs that you've calibrated or is there actual intelligence where she can learn like based on how I'm interacting with my followers, certain things will happen? No, those are, so those are based off of certain algorithms that I've given it that are, you know, basically, uh, um, off of a, you know, a ratio of followers to likes, sure. for example, you know, like that, yeah. and it does change based off of those ratios. So, for example, um, the likes, the amount of um, water that she releases isn't just based off of um, the amount of likes she gets, it's based off of the ratio of likes per follower. So, basically, because, for example, you know, if I get it's it's a if I get if I have a hundred followers and I get fifty likes on a post, that's going to be great for me. Like I'm going to feel great about that. But if someone gets has a thousand followers and gets fifty likes, it's not the same amount of right, 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 you know right. gratification. So it does in that sense. There is um, it does. It's not a moving average based off of uh, the ratio of likes and followers. So that is actually um, pretty accurate as far as how much water and light source she gets based off of that. Yeah. Um, so how have you found people generally interacting with her? Like, are, are you getting feedback from followers? And Yeah. So, well, okay. So I, she's offline at the moment because, um, so I first, I made her, I did made a prototype of her. Um, during a residency in um, in April of this year, and and I, so I put her online like for about two months, and as kind of a prototype to see how people interact with her. Um, and what was really interesting is that she was getting a lot of personal messages, which I didn't expect at all. Like people would just you know write, question, ask her questions, and like write just like secret person, you know, how you can, you can yeah. ask. And, um, like there, there was no way like, like public comments or like DMS, no DMS, Interesting. which was really, yeah, I did yeah. not expect at all. I mean, people would write public com- comments all the time, but like, right. sh- I would did not expect anyone to write her DMS. Like, <laughs> and she started getting so many and they were really funny. They were just like, you know, like asking her about her day and like, what is she up to? And like, I was like, oh my gosh, like, so now, so I'm right now working on the next iteration of her, which is mm. going to be exhibited um, next month. Cool. And so I've took her, taken her offline. I'm redoing the entire body, redoing her, making her more intelligent. And um, one of the aspects that I want to add is adding in kind of like an Easter egg kind of way for her to generate comments to the people who are DMing her so they can get kind of like a response. Um, So that was just like a really interesting random thing that I never thought would happen and happen. Other than that, like it definitely has been working in the sense that people it's been, it's nice to see that people have actually like been really positive about it. Like people are like, Oh, write comments like, Oh, keep growing Ozma. Like, you know, like people are like really like, you know, ha- like almost want to be fr- really like friendly with her and they yeah. know that it's an AI and it's not real, but they they like having her kind of interact with them too. You yeah. know, when they like her, um, when she likes their posts, you know, I've got, I've seen people be like, thanks for the like, Ozma, like as if she doesn't, <laughs> which is funny because she's not conscious, right? Like, right. 
So she doesn't get any of the gratification. But it's but it's interesting because people are getting gratification from liking her yeah. or getting gratification from, you know. So it's kind of been a really interesting, like, social experiment more than anything and yeah. studying how people are even, you know, and that's what it goes back to, what I was talking about, like, this idea of friendships with AIs. Like, is it really about, like, getting the friends to, you know, to give you something or is it about you having something to, like, feed your emotions into, you know? Well, and it definitely brings up a lot of questions about like, so if someone didn't know that she was fake, is that like short selling that person? Does it matter? How real are our interactions with real people anyways, right? Like that's kind of the whole conversation you're starting to tap into. Exactly. Yeah. No, And within social media in particular, right? Right. I mean, and that's what's really interesting too about the disconnect from the physical body because being online, there is that disconnect, but that's impossible. You know, when we're we're here together having a physical, you know, we're in conversation. And so that's really kind of, you know, goes back to this like creating friendships in virtual space and yeah. how different is that yeah and how important is the physical body and physical relationships in that space you know and yeah. and to friendships in general like yeah you know it's also kind of hilarious too because if you think about like the people who would be dming her like how many of those people would walk up to the plant body and speak to the plant body totally you know yeah I mean? no that's a great point yeah yeah <laughs> no yeah and i yeah and I think people, when they see, when I've noticed her, when people are in her physical presence, it's more like they're uh, definitely more drawn back and just kind of yeah. like look at it and like, you know. Yeah. Um, I think it would be cool to maybe implement some sort of also reward, um, reward people in some way. Um that actually are in her physical presence. And so like that's go, the game designer. Yeah, you yeah come exactly. Out. Like <laughs> variable rewards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, so, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, the physical body part is really interesting because that also means that she can die in real life. Yeah. And like, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, AI death is something that like people are, have strong reactions to. Like this is a thing in games. You see people like, People get upset when characters in games die and like, or, you know, going back to like Tamagotchis. I think Tamagotchi as a 90s kid is such an interesting thing to me because it was this simple little toy that was so huge. But like looking back on it now with this AI revolution, it's like, holy shit, like we could have been having this conversation back then because people would like, I remember kids bawling if they would forget to feed their Tamagotchi and it would die. You know what I mean? Yeah. I actually get that comparison a lot with this piece. Like people say like, Oh, it's like a Tamagotchi. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But, but I think it's even that much more interesting again that like, so yeah, people can anthropomorphize whatever, but the fact that, um, a, this thing can actually die in real life and B, that it can die both from being malnourished as well as being like sort of killed with love. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is that so what are all the triggers that cause it to be watered and fed in real life? So it's based off of mainly the likes and followers. That ratio. Yeah. yeah. The likes and followers. Um, and so the more likes. Um, basically it has a, a gauge 
um, a like gauge that when it fill when the like gauge fills up, then it releases the water. So before yeah. it was, it would get a drop of water in the terrarium every time it gets a like, but. The way that actually I re reorganized the the structure because the way that plant plants don't like to necessarily get watered every single minute or right, like right, right, hour right, right, like right, they right, like yeah. to get dry, they like to dry out and yeah. then get water. There's, there's a horticulture so, yeah. component to <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. So I reworked the structure, and that this is like for the second iteration. The first iteration, like I learned that <laughs> the plants started dying really early, and I was like, okay, well this is not gonna work. Yeah. Um, but now how it works is that the more every time it gets a like, the gauge starts filling up. Yeah. And then it releases, it gets to a certain point and then it like basically rains on yeah. all of the, in the terrarium for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. And every time it gets a follower also it's, and then the light source is controlled by the mood like ratio as well. So la the happier it is, um, then the brighter the lights. Mm. Um, and then as it like it, the more time goes by that it doesn't receive any likes or followers the lights start to dim down yeah um so it kind of on a timely basis too like she needs to be getting constant followers likes um and yeah has this do you think change so you know one of the interesting things from from my perspective anyways in kind of following this project and even in talking to you is that it's 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 easy to be cynical about um, and, you know, with good reason to be cynical about how people kind of separate themselves from their personas on social media and what this disconnect is and the unhealthy things about um, about social media. But I'm I, I'm not sure that I've really gotten that impression from Ozma. Like, it doesn't seem like it's a negative or a positive play. It's just kind of an experiment in this is kind of how things work. Like this is kind of how things happen. Like there's, there is a disconnect and um, we're looking at sort of the relationship between the real self and the, the sort of persona, but his, you know, did you come in doing that intentionally and has your sort of perspective on social media in our lives changed at all through the course of this project? Um, so as from, from the very beginning, my intention was never, to express something, whether it would be negative or positive. And yeah. I don't, and I try not to, I try to have that mentality with any of my work. Like I, yeah. I want it to be just a, a, a space for conversation and to at least just a, a, you know, space for people to actually like be able to think about them for, and decide whether it's negative or positive on, the, on their own. But it has, it has definitely impacted me personally as far as um i've i've since this project i've disconnected myself a lot from social media um and i've also learned a lot about the way people are interacting on social media because i've been studying it so much for this project as far as like the types of selfies that people post which mm. are really kind of fascinating you know i've gone through so many selfies and there's like there's three main ones, for example, that are like the top three selfies. There's the like I, they're very pop, like Japanese girls. That's like number one, okay. like adolescents. Uh -huh. And then 
Number two and three, about the same amount, are girls in front of the mirror, like butt shots, like, you know, or, yeah, showing their booty, or, or guys at the gym with their shirts off showing their ass. (laughs) Those three things, there's like the ratio to those compared to everything else. And then, like, lots of people in, like, hashtag, like, do food pictures and do selfies, you know, you get a bunch of, of those, but those are the top, like, you know, so learning those things, I'm like, well, what does that say about us? <laughs> if that's like the main selfies that people are saying, I mean, things that you kind of already ne- figured, but still, it was like kind of a little um, disheartening, <laughs> I yeah. guess, like going through all of this and like thinking about, you know, the kinds of things that are important to us. But, you know, social media to me is kind of somewhat superficial in, in that sense anyways. So I, I didn't really expect much like I didn't expect that not to be the case. Um, So, but um, yeah, like I said, I think for me, it's been more about just having a space to open, to to have these conversations and and let you decide. It's mainly been a negative. Most people have thought about it as something negative for sure. That's been the main connotation. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just easy to assume that. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the conversation, right? Like that's the the popular thing to say about social media. Yeah. But what's interesting to me is that you also like have a lot of these really warm anecdotes about like people are really kind of checking in to see how she's doing and like, you know, and, and probably in so doing like having their own gratification that, you know, whether they know they're contributing to an art project or they just think they're wishing someone a happy day or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, does that matter? The fact that you're getting sort of random acts of positivity is kind of encouraging. Yeah. And I, and when I was doing research, I was, I remember coming out. So I thought that it was that you just get a rush of dopamine whenever you receive a like, right? Mm. But actually, there's statistics showing that you also get a rush when you send a like. Mm. So there is an actual gratification of giving to others, which is really interesting, you know, and beautiful concept in in itself as well. So that goes back to kind of what we were talking about. and also, like another, even though most people with this with this concept, most people are first think about talk about the conversations about um, you know social media and our effect how it's affecting us emotionally. Um, but another layer to the piece that I'm I've been exploring lately that I think is on the more positive side is the fact that so many people have to you have to. It's a project, like I said, that lots of people are contributing to, and it kind of brings back this idea of um, collaboration and and kind of working together to have the plant grow. And you can almost bring that back to a metaphor of the earth as well. Like, mm. you know, there's this like, this is just a terrarium. But if you look at it in a bigger picture, you know, social media has such incredible powerful ways of changing the world, you know, we could potentially use this to benefit the earth, you know, and in ways and and like there's ways of bringing people together to do something positive through social media as well. So you can also look at it in that in that way, too, um, that it does it does kind of bring a sense of collaboration and connectedness that um, yeah, that's allowing for the plants to grow and for the, you know, peace to be happy. Yeah. I think to like kind of segue off of that point, um, one of the conversations that's happening in 
the you know around AI and art right now is this idea of um you know let's let's assume for a minute that uh that whatever AI you're dealing with is for now call it suitably intelligent right whether that means general AI intelligence or whether that means a super sophisticated specific AI whatever when you have an AI that's actually at the point of creating content um and you know and so at that point you're kind of calling it a collaboration between artist and AI how do we you know does that change the way we look at attribution like who deserves the credit for the work that's derived and like furthermore if you take that sort of to our like dystopian future end and say okay these ais are not just suitably intelligent but are becoming really their own autonomous intelligence you know is there a a breaking point at which they really do become fully uh you know really full owners of the work they're creating versus sort of the hand of the artist or the developer who created them in the first place right you know yeah that's an interesting question i mean and and i should say like to bring it back to earth a little bit one of the reasons this is an interesting question is because this could theoretically affect how money flows in the future absolutely you know if you have a real intelligence that means you know there's this whole conversation around personhood in ai and like theoretically they could be making money off of then ai could be making money off of the work they produce right yeah so how do you like in your own work look at this idea of shared attribution between you and the ai and also for that fact you and the collaborators that are you know helping to drive the ai right um i think in like I think in in a perfect world, like an ideal world, I think it would be, I think it's a, a really beautiful idea to allow for, if if there we do get to the point where I, AIs are completely kind of self-sufficient and self-aware um, in that sense, that they do have the ability to create and take ownership of of their work. I think that concept is really interesting and it goes back to like, ultimately, what does it mean to be aware and what does, you know, what does it mean to exist and be creative and how do we value creativity? I mean, like, and, you know, like an AI could maybe, let's say, I mean, there's plenty of like, examples of people things now that um robots that can like make drawings or like create things and it kind of goes back to like what you give value to right like maybe you're not you know maybe a, a drawing by an ai is valuable to you know somebody because an ai created it right um or maybe because they like the actual artwork but I think ultimately, I mean, I think that I, I, I would, like I said, an ideal world, like, I like the idea of us living in with AIs peacefully and like, they're like, kind of like we accept them as, um, you know, other beings that live with us. Um, I think it also has to do with that. I just finished this game, um, 
called uh it's a uh, Detroit becoming human it's like this game about this dystopian future that AIs actually become self-aware and there is a scene in that game where an AI ma makes a painting and mm. you have to decide what as the as the user as the player you decide what feeling that painting is going to be and what paint what that AI is going to paint mm. so that's kind of interesting because Still, we have, as the humans, we're still programming. We're going to still programming. We have to program some sort of like output that the that the AI is going to do or feel, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, these are questions that, I mean, it's great to think about. Um, yeah. Do you... Uh is someone who has actually like gotten their hands dirty working with these things. Um, one of the things I think is funny and interesting when having these conversations is that the general public's understanding of AI and how close we are to having these types of things be a reality versus what a programmer's interpretation of what AIs can really do today and how far away we are. Oh, that's such a great question. You I'm know what I mean? I'm glad you're asking that. Yeah. So what is your like interpretation of how close we actually are to having to have these conversations? I think conversations? we're so, so far. And like, yeah, yeah, we're, that's why, I mean, and I, I think like, I hear this all the time, like this question and people have these fears and it's like, I really don't, even the thing with like, um, you know, the car, car, the autonomous cars or whatever, like everyone's so afraid of them and thinks it's going to be tomorrow that there's all of these like self-driving cars and all. And, and I think so much of that, you know, is the media definitely blows up all of this. There's this, all this hype, but the technology there it's, we're so far from all of these sci-fi ideas. I think I don't, yeah. I don't really technically see them happening anytime in the near future and yeah. and i think an, an a big maybe the technology might be close somewhat kind of close but there's so many other issues that we need to get by like legal issues ethical issues there's all of these kind of barriers that aren't going to allow these things to get into the public eye i think very soon anyways there's so many other kind of um barriers that we have to get through, um, not only technically, but like I said, legally and ethically and like, you know, so I really don't think that, um, that these kind of con sci-fi concepts that are being so heavily explored right now are really going to come anytime soon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. I think I think they're like they're fun conversations yeah. to have, and, and they like, should be. We yeah, should be and it's totally them. worth having the yeah. conversations. But in terms of like being petrified that no, yeah. uh, iRobot is happening oh, in the next five years, probably that's not. totally one of my big pet peeves. Like people are always asking it. I'm like, yeah. no, like. And it's funny as someone who is has played with these things, like the amount of work that it takes for a developer to get uh, an, yeah. an AI to do one very, very Egg, specific oh thing yeah. is an enormous amount of work. And you don't, you know, implicit in that is that you're building in, you know, as it affects this conversation about like the artist hand dealing with AI, 
whether you want to or not, it's impossible not to build in your own biases and your own sort of preconceptions it, and your own preconditions totally. into a lot of these AIs because you're the one that's selecting the database. You're the one that's selecting all of the source material. Exactly. Um, or yeah. at least curating it in some sense. And so, you know, it's really impossible at this point to remove the creator from the AI, Absol I think. No, absolutely. Yeah. I 100% agree. Yeah. 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 Um, well, Camila, this has been a really fun conversation. Um, I think, first of all, where can people find Ozma? Um, so Ozma will be Ozma, at the <laughs> Festival of the Impossible next month. Uh, I think it's Ch Chandran Gallery. Uh, it's September 27th through 29th. Um, so you will can actually see the physical structure. And then, so she'll be online again by then. Um, and then you can find her on the information on my website, which is my name, CamilaMagrain.com. And yeah, there's a page on there with her link and, and Instagram handle. It's Ozma.ai. Awesome. And how can people kind of stay tuned with what you're working on and anything else, any other projects that you might have in the pipeline? Yeah, just on my website and my Instagram is just my name, Camila McGrain. That's probably the easiest and best way to get a hold of me and see what's, what I'm working on. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, congratulations so much for uh, all the cool work you're doing, for successfully making the switch from uh, the gaming world into the art world. Very, very cool. Uh, but before I let you go, as all of our listeners know, and as you know, since you're now listening to the show, <laughs> got to do the rapid fire section of the interview. So are you ready for that? I'm ready for it. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. So uh, first one, what was the best weekend you've had in recent memory? What did you do? Oh, man, the best weekend. Summer. Was... There's a lot of summer things going on. Actually, the to for the best summer weekend was probably the heat wave that we just had in San Francisco. <laughs> like it was like... Like, um, what it was like, what, like a month ago or something? Do you yeah. remember? It was insanely hot. Yep. Like, and the funny thing was, it was like on, I think it was like a Sunday, Monday, to it's like almost the early beginning of the week. And usually, you know, I come into work on Monday and my studio gets so insanely hot when it's, when it's hot. So I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to go into work. So I ended up going to, Oh, what's that lake called? Lake, uh, oh, it's someplace in the East Bay. I don't remember now, but me, uh, my partner and a good friend of mine, my brother brews beer. Nice. Um, and he just finished brewing a raspberry um, beer, which was amazing. The best he's brewed. We took the keg to the lake, had an amazing time um, on the lake, and then went to a punk show in Oakland. <laughs> and it was just like... So freeing to be like, it's Monday. It's so hot. We've got a keg full of delicious raspberry <laughs> beer. And like, you just know, doing it. go to a punk show. It was just great. And that was like the highlight of my, of my, uh, the last few months of the summer for sure. Awesome. To like take a Monday off. That, I never do that. That is a great, great weekend. <laughs> yeah. All right. Second one. Uh, you're coming out of the gaming industry. What games are you most excited about today? Um, well, I did just mention the game I just finished like two weeks ago. That game totally blew my mind, uh, mainly because it's about AIs and the future of AI. Um, yeah. so I love, I love narrative, um, interactive story games. So I think, I, I, I think that, um, I'm really excited to see and continue to follow kind of where that medium is going and how fascinating like another game i just started it's called a way out and it's um 
And it's also a story game, but it's um, about the, it's a co-op game, I, which I, another thing I love co-op games um, that where you one player plays one side of the story or one screen side of the screen. The other player plays the other side of the story, but you're playing at the same time, but you're playing. So you're playing the same story, but in different places hmm. and you have to connect in your stories intertwine at, yeah. at different places. So like, these are the examples I'm talking about. Like they're completely breaking conventional linear ways of telling a story and reformatting the entire, our, uh, and our way of, you know, for years we've told stories in linear fashion through, you know, and yeah. games and, um, are completely like breaking that convention. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see where um, interactive movies are going in, th in that, that genre. Um, also, co-op games. I think uh, video games and collaborative play is super powerful to bring people together. And um, so, yeah, I'm excited about yeah. that. As someone who uh, has a difficult time just reading a traditional book and understanding the story, this terrifies me. But it's also, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Very exciting to see where that's going. Um, all right. So last, but certainly not least, uh, in your bio, it mentions that you sort of grew up between Caracas, Venezuela and San Francisco, California. Yeah. I'm curious to hear what's the what's like the biggest contrast when you move between those two cultures? What do you notice most dramatically? Oh, gosh. Um, I think definitely. um probably the the way pe people relationships for sure like the way people hmm. interact with each other um on a very like as far as when i'm walking down the street here people are very much into their own world <clears throat> their own worlds or when you go into a store you don't really like have a conversation with the store person or a talk right. about their day or wonder how they're doing um, in Venezuela. And I think in many other, I think Latin American countries, I've noticed that uh, people are much more kind of warm and w open about kind of conversation and just like, it's just more freeing to be around people um, in that sense. There's not, you're kind of just constantly, it's really, people are friendly. I yeah. think that's the, the right word. It's very much more of a friendly atmosphere. So I think, um, I mean, that's a, just a cultural difference, I guess. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing I, I notice is the way people are the relationships with other people. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the way that I've heard that described sometimes is, um, people from other countries sometimes get surprised whenever someone asks how are you doing and then they like don't really want to hear the yeah, response yeah. <laughs> so like you just want to hear good and then move on like it's just a polite thing yeah. we're not actually asking how you're doing but <laughs> that's a great example yeah yeah <laughs> sounds awesome. about right <laughs> <laughs> well venezuela sounds more fun than oh, san francisco in that amazing. sense but yeah but people it. are people that's, that's it. just localities and stuff but awesome camila thank you so much for talking with me today thank you so much for hosting me in your studio and thank best you. of luck with thank everything going on uh -huh. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. As always, listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode of State of the Art. And uh, if you like what we're doing here at State of the Art, or if you like this episode, please rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Five-star reviews are always great. That's the most helpful thing you can do to help us, to help us grow, and to find other awesome listeners that like the same things you do. So thank you so much again, and I hope you tune in next week for another episode of State of the Art.